All right, if you guys want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, we're going to be going through verse 1 through 11 today, uh, Lord willing, and uh, we're dealing with the grace of God and suffering, and that word suffering is used nine times in its various forms in our text, uh, and it means pain, anguish, hardship, trials, tribulation, and in the context, it's not any suffering, but suffering because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just go ahead and read First uh, Peter chapter 4, just to get another uh, grasp of the context here. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be, bring, uh, belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that last part right there. It's like... So true. So good. So Peter's still in the, the topic of suffering here. And, and we're going to look at two things today. Number one, we're going to look at the attitude toward sin. And that's going to be in verses 1 through 7. And then number two, we're going to look at the actions uh, toward others. And that's going to be in verses 8 through 11. Uh, now, when suffering comes into our life, right, pain, suffering, trials, tribulations, afflictions, uh, the hardships begin to happen in our lives, we really need to check our attitude toward sin. And Peter deals with four things uh, in our text concerning our attitude toward sin. And our, our attitude toward sin, let's, let's go to number one, involves the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, notice in verse 1, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. And, and, and therefore, by the way, uh, what obviously linking the previous section, right, of, of chapter 2, verse 18, speaking of that suffering, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 18. Um, but since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, it says, so Jesus was mocked, he was rejected, he was uh, hung on the cross for you and I. And, and it says, Arm yourselves also with the same mind. So that speaks to the same mind of Christ. Uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we'll see uh, Paul dealing with the same mind of Christ. Peter just told us, arm yourselves in uh, also with the same mind. And that little phrase, arm yourselves, by the, by the way, uh, it's very interesting. It's a military phrase. And it speaks of picking up your weapon or picking up your armor. And, and so clearly the weapon that we are to pick up and the armor that we are to put on is the mind of Christ. And, and that involves, by the way, uh, suffering. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, like, hey, I'm going to put on the armor of Christ, you know, and yay, you're going to suffer. <laughs> but Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant 
and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so turn back to First Peter chapter 4. Um, the mind of Christ involves the death of Christ on the cross as well. It's clearly like we just read right now. So the mind of Christ uh, for us involves suffering and death as well. And I don't think it involves death of our body like Christ, but it involves the death of sin. And, and notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind, for he, notice that word he, uh, this word he is not speaking of Christ, but he who is arming himself with the same mind of Christ. So speaking of you and me, who has suffered for us in the flesh, or suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And so understand that the mind of Christ also involves suffering and his death physically on the cross, so too we are to arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ Jesus. Speaking of uh, the suffering and the death, so speaking of uh, death to sin, we cease from sin. And and there's three different views, by the way, uh, as to what exactly Peter is referring to here. Uh, scholars are a little divided as to what does it mean, ceasing from sin. And and view number one, Peter, it says Peter is speaking physically, right? So when we put our, our, our on the mind of Christ, it speaks of the death of Christ, and thus it speaks of the death uh, as well for you and I. So there's, there's scholars who uh, would say it's talking about you know, speaking about physically. And, and in other words, when we die, we cease from sin. And obviously that's true, right? When we die, we enter into the spiritual realm. We're present with the Lord, the Bible says. So there's no occasion for the flesh to fulfill any of its nature, right? It's, it's, it's desires because it's dead. The body's gone and, and it's no more. Uh, view number two, and, and I think I would agree with uh, view number one. View number two says Peter's not speaking physically, but he's speaking positionally. So in other words, when we... Um, put on the mind of Christ, and when we become born again through Christ, we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, right, uh, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and now all of a sudden, positionally in Christ Jesus, we cease from sin. And because Jesus Christ, he's imputed his righteousness to our account. So no longer is it about our account, but it's about what he sees is himself on the cross. He sees that bloodshed that he bled for you and I. So no longer is it about your sin. He doesn't see it because it's been removed. It's been wiped away. It's almost like the record books have literally been covered with blood. There's no record. Well, we got nothing on you. You're free. You're blameless. You're perfect in the sight of God. He sees you in his righteousness. Amen. Isn't that cool? I just get excited when I talk like that. Um, anyways, uh, like in Romans 8.30, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So Jesus basically sees us already as being glorified right now, presently. Isn't that great for you and I positionally that we are, we're justified in the sight of God? I think that's just, that's... That's cool, right? Amen. Um, view number three, Peter is speaking practically, is what people say. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Um, when Peter says that we have ceased from sin because we've armed ourselves with the mind of Christ, it simply means that you and I are no longer under the bondage of sin. We're no longer under the power of sin. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. In other words, sin no longer has, it rules and reigns over your life. When it craves something and it, it desires something and it has its own wanting, you no longer just act like a zombie. You don't just go straight towards it and, and, and satisfy its hunger. 
Now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? So now uh, you're no longer in that. It's a whole nother life. You truly are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 6. The best commentary that I can give you guys on this is, well, this, the Bible, right? The Bible is the best commentary about the Bible, so you could always use the Word of God. Uh, it says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Um, I, I love this. So sin no longer can rule and reign over us anymore. In fact, if you're still there, skip down to verse 14. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Ah, oh, love it. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. (sighs) Okay, let's read that one again. Let's try this again. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that great? Amen? Amen, church? I don't know. I... I was reading that and I was like, oh, I got to keep reading this. This is, is that really what it says? That, wow, you know, it's amazing. Look, look at Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 5. Go down to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, it's an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So if you're born again, you've given your life to Christ, you died to yourself, you've, you've asked him to forgive you your sins, you repented of your sins, right? And you, 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 uh, you know that he's the son of God, right? He's, he's, he's a hundred percent, uh, he died on the flesh, but he's also a hundred percent God as well. Um, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not in him, it says. So, and, and in fact, look down, skip down to verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So that's great. You and I have been delivered from the bondage of sin. Amen? That's so cool. Now we're perfect, um, but not necessarily, right? We're perfect in the eyes of God, but uh, practically, uh, we're not perfect. And in fact, you guys can ask your spouse, right? Am I perfect? Well, okay, stop. That's enough, right? Um They'll, they'll tell you the truth and nothing but the truth, right? They won't hold back. Uh, I remember telling my wife, I was like, you know, I'm pretty good. I don't, I don't think there's any, is there anything in any area in my life? And she's, she's just, okay, that's enough. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, you can ask the Romans 3.23, right? For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes in our, our walk with the Lord. It's not something that you're, you're going to be stuck in and you're constantly going to be taking pleasure in because the Holy Spirit won't allow you to. There's just going to be a heaviness about it, uh, a burden about it. There's just going to be like a, a, what am I doing playing in the garbage you know like it's you can't continue living in a lifestyle of sin uh, now we're going to fall short but right away we're going to bring it to the lord right we're going to fall to our knees um but but we're not perfect and and, uh, and that's the whole point here 
Um, but we're arming ourselves with the mind of Christ, right? And that's, that compels us to abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good, to continue to live for the Lord. Now let's come to the second thing Peter mentions. Not only does it involve the mind of Christ, but it also involves the will of God uh, regarding our attitude toward sin. Notice here in the middle of verse 2, oh, go back to First Peter, um, Notice in the middle of verse 2, it says, but for the will of God, right? So for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, uh, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. We spent plenty of our past lifetime doing the things of the Gentiles, right? And, and, and satisfying the lust of the flesh and, and, uh, whatever it desired, whatever it wanted, we gave it, right? We fed it like a little baby. We nourished it when it was a baby. We took good care of it. And then every time it cried, we, we, we gave it some, whatever it wanted, right? But what happens to that little baby, your sin that you kept feeding? It, well, it became a big monster. It became like a big dinosaur. And then what happens? And then it devours you, and then you're dead, right? <laughs> right? Romans 6, where the wages of sin is death. So uh, it's going to lead to death, and it's no more. But you're feeding that monster. And then the less you feed it, the more it's going to yell and scream and kick. But if you're no longer in that life anymore that it has no power over you and I, right? We're no longer a slave to it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here I come. Here I What do you want, right? We no longer do that anymore. And and really, you got to retrain your mindset, in a sense, when you do become a believer, because now all of a sudden you're going back to tradition, and then you're like, why am I doing this? So the Lord, he'll naturally lead you out of that uh, lifestyle, if that's the case. But we armed ourselves uh, with the mind of Christ. We, the moment we became born again was that moment. And we now live for the will of God, not the will of the flesh and its wants and its cravings, but for the will of God and what he wants, right? And we'll see a little more in uh, verse 19 uh, that it's dealing with suffering uh, later on. This includes not lusting after the old lifestyle, the old flesh, the old things that we used to do. And we, we put on the mind of Christ, which involves suffering and ultimately it involves death um and since we have to, we we've died to sin we've died to the old man in fact galatians chapter 2 verse 20 it says i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me and so since this is the case and it is uh, I am indeed living for the Lord, which includes not lusting after the flesh and the old nature and the old lifestyle. So we're living by the Spirit of Christ, right? Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, Paul, Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey man, you know, pastor, I've been going through all this stuff in my life. I just keep living in the same sin and a continual lifestyle and i just what's the answer well what does the bible say hey you you want to feed it then you're gonna fulfill it you don't feed it and you walk in the spirit then you're not going to fulfill it right it's pretty pretty logical it's pretty simple um Let's come to the third thing. Our attitude towards sin also involves the judgment to come. The judgment to come. Notice in verse 4, uh, it says, In regard to these, speaking about the Gentiles here, they think it's strange that you do not run with them, so you don't associate with them, you don't hang out with them, uh, and you don't party with them, right? In the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So when you give up the will of the flesh for the will of God, then you will no longer hang out with the world as you used to, right? I know when I first got saved, I'm hanging out with these, you know, the gangster guys. That was my lifestyle back in the day. And, you know, they're smoking marijuana. And they're like, you want some? No, dude, I'm a Christian. What are you doing? And there's just so much stuff that they wanted to do that I, I'm no longer, there was no desire. I just, I didn't want to do all those things that they did. And I was always a burden to them, but I, they were a burden to me. I just, I didn't want to. Eventually, you know, I'm hanging out with them and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is such a waste of time. I could totally be in the Word. I could totally, you know, go somewhere else. I need, you know, believers to hang out with. And 
And, and it was just, it was something that nobody told me back in the day, which that would have been cool. But the Lord just naturally just put it on my heart. Hey, what are you doing? Get out of there. And, and he naturally pulled me away from them. And it was cool because I was like, Hey guys, I'm not going to hang out with you guys anymore. And they're like, you know what we got to do, right? You're going to get out of the gang, right? We're going to have to kill you. I'll bring it on, right? They didn't do anything. Actually, they did. They killed me and it was crazy. No, they, they didn't do it. I'm right here, guys. It's good. Um, but, but, so it's cool because the Lord, you know, pulled me out of that thing. Um, and then, anyways, um, so what's going to happen when you get saved, right? They're, they're going to look at you differently and they're going to think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dispensation, what, what, the same thing, because you don't do the things that they do anymore. There's no more desire. That desire has been taken because there's a greater desire and that desire is Christ Jesus, right? You're looking to him and now everything else that you thought was number one, right? It's no longer there anymore. It's like, what's that, right? And, and notice in verse four, they will speak evil of you. Why would they do that? That's not cool, right? They're the world, and why would they speak evil? One reason is while they're jealous of your contentment that you have, you know, that you're living in Christ Jesus, you're complete, you're satisfied in Christ Jesus. And so when you're living for the, the, well, when you're living for the, your own, you know, the flesh nature and then satisfying the, the, the flesh, uh, well, in its desires, there's not going to be any satisfaction. There's not going to be any completeness. There's not going to be any fulfillment in your life. When you're living for the temporal pleasures of the world, they thinking, you know, they're going to satisfy you. They're going to bring you contentment. You're mistaken. It's not going to happen. You guys know that, right? Amen. It's not going to happen. Um, God has created each one of us with eternity in our hearts. He's done that work. He's the only one who can fill that emptiness, if you will, right? A lot of people try filling that void with the lust of the world, right? The lust of the flesh, thinking, you know, if I have, if only I get into this relationship with this person, then they'll satisfy me. Then I'll be complete. Let me tell you guys one thing. Your spouse will never, ever, ever, ever completely satisfy you. They'll never make you complete. Why? Because Christ has put eternity within your hearts, and it's only Christ who can satisfy you. It's only him who can complete you. He created you. He spoke us into existence. He knew exactly what he was going to do with you today that, like, six, ten thousand years ago. He knew it from day one. And and he made us that way. That's just the way it is. So they'll speak evil of you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit within you. You're no longer... It's it's like, dude, good morning to you too. Seriously? Where did that come from? You guys were best buddies all your life. They're your brother. They're your sister. They're your mom, your dad. And all of a sudden, they're like, and you're like, whoa! What do you, what? I didn't even do anything. What's wrong? They're, I don't know, but I hate you. <laughs> they don't hate you. They, they sense the Holy Spirit within you and they're jealous of your commitment to Christ, that you're surrendered to Christ and you're no longer living in the same flood of, of just going with the flow, right? Going with whatever media tells us to do and, right? You're not doing that anymore. Now we're retrained. We're rebooted in that sense, right? We're uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans chapter 12 verse is one and two, and we're living for the Lord, and they don't like that. All of a sudden, they're like enemy, right? And they're going to speak evil of you, so don't think it's strange that they do. But anyways, it says in, uh, uh, according to verse six, it says, for this reason, so because of the fact that they will be judged, according to verse five, uh, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So there will be a judgment to come, according to verse 5, toward the living and toward the dead. Now, for us believers, there's going to be a judgment, more of a reward ceremony, if you will. Second uh, Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians 3.13. But for the, the non-believers, those who choose not to surrender their life to the Lord, maybe they live churchianity, maybe they speak Christianity, maybe they, they, they just love church so much, they love being involved in the church, but their hearts are so far from God that they look at their lust and their sin, and then they look at God and, and they desire their ways more than God. Isn't it a scary picture? Some A lot of people in here, in this room today, when we die, some of you guys are going to e- experience eternal hell and damnation. 
Isn't that a scary picture? You're going to be judged because you chose to deny Christ by your living, by your lifestyle. You're going to stand before the Lord. No one's going to be in front of you. Your mom and your dad's not going to save you. Your money's not going to go with you. Your reputation's not going to go with you. You are going to be held accountable based on the life that you chose to live and your denial of Christ that you chose to deny him. He didn't deny you, but you denied him. And thus, your eternal destination, if if you will, is going to be in hell, fire, flame, the, the worm doesn't die. It's a scary place to be in. So this should shake us up a little bit, right? Uh, Re- Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, you're going to stand before the Lord, and that's going to be a scary place when the books are going to be open, and, and, and there's going to be a record there. But for those believers, you chose to live for the Lord. You chose to look at the cross. Guys, if you can look at the cross and you see what Christ did for us, even from when he was a baby, he lived and, and he came among us, humbled himself, right? But he died that death upon that cross. And if that doesn't break you, then, man, it should break you, right? There's people in here that choose, they, they don't want to dwell on it. They're like, oh, I don't even care. But it should, because that's the blood that's going to cover you. That's his righteousness being accredited to your account. When you chose, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry, Lord. And you choose in your heart, you made a decision. I'm going to surrender my whole life to you. I'm going to choose to walk in your ways. And guess what you're doing? You're throwing away all that other stuff that kept you and hindered you from your walk with the Lord. You set up those boundaries in that sense, right? So it's a scary thing because of this, we should be prepared to present the gospel to this world. That's why, because there is a judgment and it should break us. It really should. Uh, if you go out to the mall, you know, look look at the people and just look at the statistics. You know, few are going to follow the Lord. Jesus said, am I going to find faith when I return? It's going to be a rare thing. And if you look at our church, look at the other churches that don't even speak on sin, hell, and judgment, right? Everything's good and cheerful, but that's the, the horrible thing about coming to this church. You have to get the whole word of God right? You're going to have to go verse by verse, and you have to get the whole counsel of God. And it's a scary thing, but um, clearly, so going back to the text here, sorry, um, we, so so it's not talking about going to a cemetery and, and giving the gospel to the dead, right? That's something that the Bethel church would do, right? <laughs> they do a lot of wacky stuff. But I think he's speaking about those who are spiritually dead is the idea. And all of us prior to salvation, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins uh, prior to salvation. And the church What's the reason why we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are spiritually dead, right? Because there's a judgment to come, according to the end of verse 5 right here. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, they're going to stand before the Lord, and and, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And notice at the end of verse 6 that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. Because they are in the flesh, we can make an obvious judgment uh, based on their eternal position. But once they do come to faith in Jesus Christ, then they will, what does it say? Live according to God in the Spirit. So, But now we're, we're living uh, onto the Lord in the Spirit, right? We're, we're now walking in the will of the Holy Spirit, in the, in, the, in the Lord, right? And the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. And it's not by our own spirit, uh, Zechariah 4, 6. So let's come to the fourth thing here. Um, our attitude towards sin also involves the prayers we offer, the prayers we offer. Notice in verse 7, uh, it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Actually, let's slow down a little bit. At, our, our attitude um, during suffering can be really bad at times, right? And and we forget about our prayer life. We don't turn to the Lord in prayer. In fact, oftentimes we turn to the flesh instead, and which brings us out of the will of God. We're no longer walking in the will of God if we're going to act out in the flesh. And Peter here, he emphasizes the importance of prayer in three ways. Number one, he talks about the urgency of prayer. Notice again, but the end of all things is at hand. So pray. 
because the end of all things is at hand. So uh, what exactly is Peter talking about here? The end of all things, what does that even mean, right? Some say it's the end of your life is at hand, and some of us understand that, right? I, I had a little, uh, I was just talking up here, but um, I had a little like heart, you know, a little kind of, I don't know what it's called, heartburn, right? And I, but it was such a reminder of like how short our life could be. That moment, my life could have just been taken. That's a scary thought. Our life is but a vapor. And it's here, it's there, it's gone. Boom, it's, it, that was it. And and uh, But it's it's a scary place to be in. Um, but um, so our, some of you guys understand that, right? Um, that are, so that's what it's talking about. Some people think it's talking about, therefore we need to pray. Others say it's talking about the ending of sin. Since we armed ourselves with the mind of Christ, so the end of sin is at hand, or in other words, it's dying out, right? Sin is starting to die out in your life when the moment you became a new be- a creation in Christ Jesus. So thus we need to pray. And, and I understand both of those views, and I kind of agree with both of those views. Others say he's talking about the rapture of the church when Christ comes back. Uh, in the clouds, we're caught up in, in, in the air. We meet. We're together in the clouds with the Lord, and we'll forever be with the Lord. And and obviously, uh, the end of all time, meaning the end of all mankind. And and guys, are we there? I think we're there, right? We you, we see that if it happens right now, you got seven years there, a thousand years there, all done. Mankind gone, right? So uh, you like that, huh? <laughs> uh, so. Um, but are we close? Of course we're close. And I think as we, we see the alignment, you know, of Russia, Iran, in fact, yesterday, if you guys just look at Israel, there's so much going on. You look at Ezekiel, uh, uh, in the Bible, there's so much happening right now. A lot of us, uh, watchmen are keeping our eyes on Damascus, right? It already looks like a heap of rubble, but it's gonna be, it's going to be gone. And right now there's, there's, it's like a central hub for terrorists and there's just a lot of stuff going on. So biblically, uh, it's not a good idea to get investments in there in Damascus right now, right? <laughs> Don't get any real estate there. Uh, we already know what's happening, but we're living in a time that we should be watchful. We should be awake. We should be alert because, and in fact, it's lawlessness too. Look, we were just talking about on Wednesday, what happened with the shooting in Florida? Man, you know, like, where, where's the heart, people? And and then I wouldn't, uh, I, it, it would sound like right for our generation today to be like, oh, you know, that he wasn't in his right mind. Let's just let him go and have grace on him because we got to love all people, right? And let's just, oh, it happens, right? That's We're living in lawless times, so I wouldn't doubt that would be the, the judgment on him. It's a, it's a scary place we're in. Anyways, if anything, we need prayer in these times, right? That's the idea. We need to pray knowing uh, the times that we're in right now. So Peter also talks about the seriousness of prayer, uh, number two. Notice in verse seven, uh, serious it means to be sober, to be clear-minded, to be on track, right? Not to be shaken up as it pertains to uh, the, the all the things is, that is at hand. And uh, number three, Peter also talks about the watchfulness of prayer. Uh, look at verse seven again. He says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Uh, turn with me to Romans 13, if you don't mind. Romans chapter 13. And... Uh, that word watchful simply means to stay alert. It means to stay awake. It means to be ready, right? Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he said, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or in drunkenness or in lewdness and lust, but not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust." So, there it is. Let's come to the second section we want to look at today, dealing with our actions toward others. Our actions toward others in verses 8 to 11, because when we're going through suffering, a time of trial, a time of affliction, uh, our actions can vary greatly. Uh, and I've learned six things that, about our actions toward others. Um, 
if we understand the grace of God in light of uh, suffering, then our actions toward others, uh, number one, will involve the love we have, the love we have. Notice in verse 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. And so when we are suffering, our actions toward others uh, needs to involve the love for one another. We need to love one another, right? We need to uh, love them regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do. Uh, that word love, by the way, is the agape love, right? The highest form of love that we know of. And in the Greek, it, well, mentioned 117 times, um, it's that spiritual, that sacrificial, that selfless type of love. And and this type of love that is selfless, sacrificial, and, and uh, it's with that love, we are to be fervent, right? And and that word fervent means without ceasing. We are to be constantly without ceasing, having this selfless, sacrificial uh, uh, type of love, this spiritual type of love that Christ demonstrated on the cross for you and I. And may I add, uh, in suffering as well, we're to have this type of love. And note carefully at the end of verse 8, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Why should we have this type of love for each other? Well, uh, since it causes us to cover sins in a sense, right? Their sin, to keep their sins from coming in and affecting our life in a negative way. Um, when my kids, you know, they're, they're up late at night and, and, and my wife's like, okay, you, you get them now. They're not going to sleep. So I got to get up there and, you know, just kind of be like, go to bed, right? And I go up there and, and then my kids do stuff that's just hilarious and it makes me laugh. But in, inwardly, I'm like, hold it together, Josh, right? You got to show that you're serious. And I'm like, go to bed, guys. And then my son like takes off his shirt. He's like, look at this, dad, right? And it's like, ah. And so I'm laughing upstairs and my wife has to come and she has to lay it down, right? Like, everybody go to bed, including you, Josh. No. Um, not really, but yeah, it's, but I love my kids, and so it's easy for me to overlook, you know, that seriousness of judgment, that if there are other kids, I'll be like, go to bed, right? But I love my kids, and it's the same thing with each other. As believers, we need to love each other with that type of love. As Christians, we need to look at each other, and if you're holding any kind of grudge or anything against another believer, there needs to be that love for that believer as well that, that just simply overlooks those things that were said. Obviously, sin needs to be addressed, right? I'm not trying to you know cover that, but there, at the same time, there needs to be that love that covers that, and and it really does. It covers a multitude of sins, and, and, and thus... Uh, It'll help you to overlook certain things. Now, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? We're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. We're all human. And so keep that in mind when, when, uh, when somebody falls and when someone, somebody stumbles, don't, you know, our attitude is we want to jump all over people, right? I can't believe you say, you're a Christian? Oh, you're a believer. Oh, man, this is, you're horrible. Then you have that more holier than thou attitude about you, right? And you're like, well, if only you were like me, right? But it's the same thing. You're just as much of a sinner. And so it's a good thing to recognize uh, sin. And when we do stumble, hey, we've, we've all stumbled. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God wasn't there the whole time like, you sinner, ah, right? There was no, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So uh, we shouldn't be like that. And oftentimes, you know, it's, it's hard to overlook, you know, those, those things. But love does cover a multitude of sin. And if we're not living in the love, in this agape love, this selfless, sacrificial type of love, we're gonna, we're not gonna overlook that. We're gonna be like, no, they're dead. How dare you? Ah, right? And especially in the marriage situation, it's like, attack, attack, attack. You know, and it, we gotta, we gotta just chill out and breathe. Well, the second thing about our actions toward others is the hospitality that we show. The hospitality that we show. Notice, um, go back to First Peter, um, chapter four. Notice in verse nine, um, it says, "But be hospitable to one another without grumbling." Sometimes we may bless others, you know, when they come over. We we were very hospitable. But if you're grumbling within yourself, like guys, get out of here. It's already bedtime. Like seriously, right? You're like, "Hi, would you like some more water?" And they're like, "Sure." And you're like, "Oh, right." Uh, <laughs> If you can't be uh, hospitable without grumbling, don't be hospitable at all, right? Don't even invite people over. Um, it's kind of—I I worked in Arizona in the hot sun, right? We were sweating outside, 
Connecticut. I know you guys don't know what that means, right? But it's super hot out there, a thousand degrees. And, and the coolest thing, I'm working outside someone's house, and the coolest thing is when they like come out and bring water to you. They don't have to do that, but the simplest little things just bless my entire day. Especially, I love coffee, and I never drink water, but sometimes you're melting and you're just dying, you know, and you need water. And my wife gets on me all the time about that. You need to drink water. I'm like, well, give me some coffee. <laughs> But yeah, um, but it, but we got to be hospitable toward one another without grumbling at all. I don't think I need to drill anything there. Um, oh, I must have went all the way back. Second uh, Corinthians nine seven. So 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 let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. So just be cheerful about it when you're showing that hospitality. Um, the third thing that's involved in our action toward others is the gifts that we use, the gifts that we use. Notice in verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So speaking of our actions toward others regarding this gift that we have, right? Uh, and it says as good stewards, so those faithful overseers in a sense, right, of the manifold grace of God. When we're going through a time of suffering, when we're going through a time of just craziness, we use our gifts as believers. This word gift is charisma, right? Um, used 17 times in the New Testament. It's our English word, where we get our English word charismatic. And speaking of the charismatic gifts, and it comes uh, from the root word uh, charis is where we get our word in the Greek um, for grace, right? Charis. And, and uh, a lot of people are confused as far as, you know, what are these charismatic gifts and, and uh, what are they used for? It would seem in the Bible there are seven charismatic gifts. And, and it seems like they, you can find them in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. And so there's seven main or primary or seven uh, motivational gifts. I don't know. I've heard different names for it. But I believe everyone has at least one gift, right? If that. Some of you guys are Superman. And you got all kinds of, you know, like all kinds of gifts. But um, it's a statement of fact. Notice it says in verse 10, as each one has received a gift. So you have, right? You have indeed received a gift, one of these seven major charismatic gifts. And and how do you know what your gift is? Well, oftentimes um, it comes by stepping out in faith, right? And just exercising that gift, whatever it may be. Uh, for instance, if somebody walked up to me right now, right? I'm all thirsty. And they're, they're like, here's some water. But before they give me the water, they spill it over and it falls all over the place. And then somebody else rises up and like, hey, you, go get the mop. Hey, you, go get that. Go get that. You go get another thing of water. Let's go. Then you got probably the gift of administration, right? Or bossiness. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever one you want to call it. Um, and then let's say the person comes up with the water. Uh, another one, maybe they got the gift of um, helps, right? Uh, maybe... Uh, you know, the person that fell down is like, oh, it hurt. And someone's like, are you okay? How's it going? Oh, you probably got the gift of compassion. I don't know. <laughs> you got the idea, right? Um, so, um, uh, so that normally these gifts are not realized, I, I would say, until a, the need arises. And then you kind of understand that gift or until we actually step out and we actually exercise that gift. And how do I know if that gift, you know, what if, what if, how do I know if I have the gift of leadership? Well, look behind you. Is anybody following you? Well, then you got, probably don't got the gift or you do got the gift, right? Um, so I encourage you guys all to step out in faith and use the gift that God has given you guys, right? Exercise it by faith. First Corinthians twelve eleven says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That's the key words right there. Some say he gives these gifts as he wills or when the need arises. I know I have the gift of discernment, but I don't always have the gift of discernment. It comes whenever it wants to come, right? That those moments where I'm like, Lord, I really need you. Oh, there it is. Oh, I know what's going on. And and uh, But I don't always have that. If I did, I would be selfish and go to the Powerball and be like, hey, kind of discerning. No, I, just, I never I don't play those stuff. But um, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you don't have the word gift, by the way. You have the word um, spirituals. 
And, and so Paul uses the word spirituals and not the word gift there in those chapters. So these are the more uh, of the motivational gifts, if you will, the manifestation of these seven gifts given to us in Romans chapter 12. And these are exercised in Ephesians 4.11 uh, in the office in which a person holds. So you got what? Uh, prophet, evangelist, you got uh, uh uh, pastor, teacher, people, you know, would probably couple those together, and I'm okay with that. But that word given there is doma, and it speaks of the office in which the gift uh, is given to the, or the person who ministers to that gift, right? So the point is, we all have a gift, and we need to be good stewards of the gift that God has given us. And we all fit in the body somewhere, somehow, right? And we all need to practice these gifts, Let's come to the fourth thing here. Involved in our actions toward others is the words we speak. The words we speak. Notice in verse 11, and we'll end with verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the utterance of God or the uh, the words of God. And, and when other people are suffering, the actions toward others involves the words we speak. So that what should we speak to others when they're suffering? Well, we should speak to them uh, the word of God. That's the best thing we can ever, ever give anybody. Understand that whatever you and I think and believe doesn't matter. I know. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. But you know what does matter? The word of God is what matters. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And in fact, John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, sanctify them when he's praying to the Lord. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the word of God is where we draw the line in the sand, right? That's, that's the final thing. It's the lens by which we see every circumstance, right? We see it through a biblical perspective. And family, the words of God can bring healing. It can mend relationships, but it also brings restoration, right? So if there's stuff that's happened, stuff has happened, right? It's only through the word of God. And so when you see somebody suffering, go to them and don't be like, you know, my psychologist said, you know, or or whatever we say can actually damage a person's life. It can actually lead them to suicide even. And so we got to be cautious with our words. In fact, don't use your words. Just give them the word of God, right? It's the best thing you can ever give to anybody. Um, now, the fifth thing involved is the the minister the ministers we are notice in verse 11 at the middle right here if anyone ministers let him do it with the ability which god supplies hey when others are suffering we need to minister to them right the word minister diakonos that's where we get our english word deacon from deacon simply means to be a servant right a waiter and lots of people think you know I really want to be a minister. How cool would that be? Yeah. And they're thinking of something weird, right? But a minister is a servant. You're constantly serving. You're constantly giving out. You're constantly just pouring out whatever God has poured in you, right? God has granted you his word because you're, you're in his word, right? And he's, and you're allowed to give it out. But notice in verse 11 that our ministering to others is not supplied by our own power and our own flesh. It's supplied by who? It's supplied by God. It's not something we strive at. It comes by a result of God's grace in our lives. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. Yeah. Some people actually think that. They look in the mirror and they're like, all right, I got this. Here we go. Let's do this. I got it. And they think they got something. To, Get out of the way, Christians. Uh, I'm taking over, right? And, and it's somehow you got this image about you and I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. Ooh, right? And, and woe is you. <laughs> God is going to like, right? He's going to humble you. He's going to break you. But there's nothing that we can offer anybody. I can't give you guys anything. But it has to be, it's only Christ in us, right, who produces that grace, who's able, it's his power. It's him that comes out, and it's his word that matters, and not our own words. Um, 
And notice, by the way, and this word is used 37 times, that word minister. Um, and so let's come to the last thing. It involves the glory we bring. The glory we bring. Let's finish the, the rest of verse 11. That in all things, no, so no matter what you're going through and whatever suffering it is, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when you realize the gift that you have by God and become a good steward of that gift, you're exercising it by faith, administering that gift by, obviously you're ministering unto the Lord, but you're ministering that gift unto the people and, and, uh, and by serving others, right? But there's a danger. And I just want to give you guys a little red flag before we go about speaking on the gifts and the things that we've been given by God. The danger is that um, we begin to get the pat on the back, if you will. People are like, you are awesome. And you're like, me? Thanks, right? Oh, I'm awesome. And then it gets to your head, right? Get all puffed up, but you steal the glory of the Lord. And there's a danger in that. You need a, you need a ricochet that. <laughs> no, praise the Lord, right? Uh, Chuck Smith used to get mad at everybody when they, when they would stand up and start clapping. And so at Bible college, we'd just all do this, right? At the end. Nobody would be clapping. Kind of like our church, actually. I started coming here, I was like, yeah, oh, <laughs> but, but that's kind of the idea. There's nothing wrong with clapping. I didn't tell you guys not to clap, but, um, but, but it's just give glory to the Lord. We're, give to glory to whom glories do, right? And, and it belongs to the Lord. So our ability to serve is supplied by the Holy Spirit. It's only Christ in us. And, and therefore all glory should go to the Lord. Let me leave you guys with this. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Right? Um, there you go, Catholics. <clears throat> Sorry. First um, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen? Amen? Stand up, guys. Let's pray. You guys are great. You guys went through all that. There's a lot of scripture. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that you are faithful and you're just and, and you're true. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has heard your word, uh, God, that, that, that you would just continue to encourage their hearts to, to turn their lives over to you. Father, that they would surrender their will to your will and no longer walk in the ways they used to, but truly uh, seeking you, Father, and your word. Uh, and I pray... Um, Lord, that you just do an impact there, that they would uh, choose to believe in who you are. And uh, in fact, guys, right now, if you're, you guys are, are got your eyes closed, if you guys want to give your life to the Lord, you know, you heard the gospel, that Jesus loves you, he died on the cross for your sins, he rose again the third day, and he did it all because he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Um, in your hearts, I'll, I'll just pray just a simple prayer. It's not the prayer. It's your heart's response to the Lord. And if you want to respond to the Lord and, and have this relationship with Jesus Christ in your life and, and watch him do a mighty work in your life, then simply pray this prayer with me in your hearts. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again from the grave. I believe in who you are. And I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, help me to live for you and choose you in all of my ways. And I pray that you would help me to, in this personal relationship with you, Lord, to hear your words. And I pray that you would just make yourself evident in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.